0: Why was Anna so pleasing to God? And what does Simeon tell us about perseverance? In our first live event of the year, Father Grady spoke about one of the most important feast days we have in the liturgical calendar. Amidst a sweeping backdrop overlooking the Manhattan skyline and a space illuminated by nothing other than the flicker of candles, we learned about the presentation of the Lord and the three key lessons we must take from this feast day. Um, okay. Sometimes, as a priest, we can assume a little too much. So, someone in the course of this beautiful evening, and thank you so much to our hosts and our chefs and everyone who made this possible, Um, and gosh, what have you, I mean, yeah, make this my background. Um, (laughs) but someone said to me, so the gravy, what is the presentation? And I thought, okay, that's, that's a good reminder. Like don't, don't assume too much here. So by way of background, whether, whether you know all about what we're talking about or you have no idea, you just showed up for the crepes, which is fine as well. Um, presentation is one of the great feasts of the church. It's, it's connected to Christmas, and actually kind of marks the official long end of the Christmas season. Um, Lent cannot, cannot, based on the calendar, begin before the Feast of the Presentation. Lent begins two weeks from today, believe it or not. This is a very, very early Easter. It's, it's one of the earliest it can be. Um, Ash Wednesday falls on St. Valentine's Day. So have fun with that. But... Um, <laughs> The Feast of the Presentation is completely tied to the birth of Jesus, in that under Jewish law, when a firstborn son was born, 40 days after his birth, his parents were required to present him in the temple. This goes back to the Passover when, by sprinkling the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, the angel of death passed over and spared the firstborn sons in that home from, from death. In thanksgiving and commemoration of that event, ever since Jewish parents commemorated it by presenting their firstborn son to the Lord, by making, making a gift of their first, consecrating him, to God and so this is what Mary and Joseph did as devout Jewish parents they brought Jesus to be presented in the temple 40 days after his birth if you count on the calendar 40 days from December 25th is February 2nd Feast of the presentation it also it's a feast of Jesus in that that's when he was presented it's also a Feast of Mary. For a Jewish mother, it was her purification. This is going to sound very strange to our modern ears. But the act of giving birth under Jewish law was considered to be ritually unclean. Any shedding of blood was considered ritually unclean. And so there had to be a certain amount of time that passed since this bloodshed, in which a Jewish mother would then present herself in the temple and be declared ritually clean, purified, able to resume her place in the public worship in the temple. So Jesus and Mary both have a stake here in what's happening. So according to this ritual, they would come to the temple in Jerusalem, and present an offering to the Lord. They're offering their son, first of all, but then there would be some um, gift that's given. And the wealthier a family was, the more substantial the gift would be. It was, it was an animal that would be sacrificed. Again, this, this sounds odd to our sort of um, sensitized, sanitized modern ears, but in ancient culture, this would have been commonplace, right? The idea of animal sacrifice. So a very wealthy family would present an animal of some substance, a lamb, a, a bull, right? Mary and Joseph were very poor. Joseph was from royal lineage. He was a descendant of King David, but, but he was a poor man. He was a carpenter by trade. They, they lived in a poor town. They made ends meet. They offered the poorest gift one could, which was a few pigeons. Or They think how humble that is. They they found a few pigeons and said, this is is all we can give. So they come to the temple, and part of this ritual is that they would carry a candle into the temple. We, as the fulfillment of Judaism, incorporate so much of this into our own rite of baptism. So they walk into the temple carrying this candle. And that's why another name for this feast is candlesticks. Massive candles. Traditionally on February 2nd, all the candles in a church that will be used throughout the year are blessed. It also ties into to something we're going to talk about in just a moment. But if you read the gospel account of the presentation, which only which appears only in St. Luke's gospel, there are three figures I want to touch on briefly. Because I think each of them give us something to take away and reflect upon. And the three people I'm going to talk about is Mary, the mother of God. Simeon, who's the priest in the temple, who receives the child and presents him to the Lord. And Anna, who is an old woman, who is really important. So let's start with Mary, all right? What's the lesson she offers us on this feast? This is what's so amazing to reflect upon. Jesus did not need to be presented to God. Why? Because he is God. He is, the, he is completely, fully God. There's no presentation that has to happen. But he submits to it as an example of humble surrender. And Mary does the same thing. When Mary gave birth to Jesus... It was not the type of birth that we're used to. There were no labor pains. There was no shedding of blood. Mary did not need to be purified according to Jewish law. She gave birth to Jesus in a completely painless, bloodless, miraculous way. The birth of Jesus was the miraculous counterpart to his miraculous conception. But Mary still submitted herself to this rite, to this ritual, And the two of them together in doing this, the baby Jesus, who's only 40 days old, and Mary, his immaculate mother, teach us that lesson of humility. We live in a very prideful age. So often we look at rituals and laws and say, you know, I'll decide for myself if I want to do this, if this applies to me, if I get any benefit out of it. That's not how God operates. God gives us certain laws, certain rituals through his church and asks us to submit to them, to surrender ourselves to them. We might understand why these laws and rules and rituals exist, and they might make a lot of sense to us. They might make no sense at all. We don't understand them. Maybe we've never looked into them. Maybe we have, and they just don't compute. But God's saying, I'm asking you to trust me. Do you trust me that I'm giving you this for your good, for your salvation, that if you say yes, if you humble yourself and submit to it, it will be for your eternal good, for your salvation. And that's an act of trust that can be a challenge for us. Because we want to be in charge. We want to decide for ourselves what we're going to do. And God's saying, maybe step back and say yes. And humble yourself and let me take you where I need you to be, which is a place far better than you could ever get on your own. Right. So keep that in mind with, with Jesus and Mary, submitting and humbling themselves. That's number one. Number two is Simeon. Simeon is this elderly man. He's a priest in the temple. We don't don't hear of Jewish priests nowadays, right? The idea of a Jewish priest sounds odd to us. Just by way of background, a priest is someone who offers sacrifice, meaning you kill an animal, right? There's bloodshed. It's an offering to God. That's what happened in the temple in Jerusalem. In all of Judaism, there could only be one temple. There's one temple in Jerusalem. And animals were were slaughtered there. People would bring these animals as an offering to the Lord to be slaughtered in sacrifice as a way of of expressing their dependency on God. Again, I know this sounds odd to us, and maybe we we, we can kind of almost dismiss it, but we have to realize we don't have it all figured out. There's, they did this for a reason, and we do well to kind of, try to see it from their point of view. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed a few decades after the crucifixion, right? If any of you have been to Jerusalem, you know, there's the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, that's all that's left, where where Jews continue to pray. That's why we don't have Jewish priests anymore. Because there's no temple, there can be no sacrifice. And so all all we have as Jews are are rabbis, teachers of the law, which is fine and, and good, but there are no priests anymore. There's no one to offer sacrifice. We, as as Catholic priests, are are the continuation of that. We we offer the sacrifice. We offer the Lamb of God. The fullness of that sacrifice, the, the ultimate, complete, perfect, unbloody sacrifice of the Lamb of God who gave himself for us on the cross. Simeon was a priest of the temple. He received the baby Jesus when Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple. Now, this is the lesson that Simeon gives us. It was promised to Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Christ, the Messiah. Now, we have to pause for a moment and think about the context of this. Jews in this time, they knew they were living in messianic times. They knew the Messiah was was near. They were on the lookout for him. John the Baptist, right? He was, was the forerunner. The disciples were where, where is the Messiah? We're, we're looking, we know he's going to appear soon. Simeon knew he would not die before he would set eyes on the Christ. And he's now now he's he's in his old age. He know, he, he knows he doesn't have much time left. And think about this: he goes to the temple every day. And as he's walking there, he thinks to himself, I wonder if today is the day. Will I see the Messiah today? And every day he would go home and say, not, not today, maybe tomorrow. And then one day it happened. He appeared. And if you read the gospel account, Simeon, you can just read the tears welling up in his eyes. He says, Now, Lord, you can let your servant go in peace. Now your word has been fulfilled. Here is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the salvation of your people, Israel. He saw the light, he saw the Christ. And that ties into this theme of, of candles, of which we have so many around us this evening. Jesus is the light who has appeared. And it's no coincidence that his birth occurs during the darkest time of the year. And now, I don't know about any of you, but like we're starting to notice the days are getting longer, right? Like you come home from work in the evening, and oh, it's a little lighter today than it was last week. That light is starting to spread. And that's what Candlemas ties so much into. The light of the world is shining and spreading, and Simeon has seen it. And proclaims it. And you pause to think how easy it would have been for him to give up. To say, you know what, I've been doing this year after year, decade after decade. He's not coming. But he didn't give up. He persevered. He kept going. He kept showing up. And finally it happened, and God rewarded his faith and his perseverance. And that's so necessary for us in our own path, our own spiritual quest. You know, when we pray, which I, which I hope we all do every day, sometimes, oftentimes, it can be kind of dry, right? We, we want the warm and fuzzies. We want, we want to make it, us feel good. And maybe at the outset it does, right? God gives us those training wheels to, to get us on our feet. But then he pulls back and says, I want to see if you really are in this. Are you doing this because of what you get out of it? Are you doing this for you or are you doing it for me? To give me the the worship that that is due. And that." checks and purifies our motivation in those dry moments when we're not getting the warm and fuzzies when it feels like god are you there can you hear me are you listening we have to know that he is but do we keep at it do we keep showing up do we keep going to mass even when it might be dry when it might be boring you know when it feels like the priest is droning on and what are you trying to say to me here that's when we need to really prove the point and say, I'm going to keep doing this because I know at the end of the day, God's going to show up. And then it's all worth it. So Simeon teaches us about perseverance, about staying the course, not quitting. And we need to keep at it. The third and last one is Anna. Anna is like a little coda to this gospel. Anna is this prophetess. She's she's an old woman. She's in her very, very old years. She's been widowed forever. She's in the temple. The gospel tells us day and night, praying and fasting. And when Jesus appeared, she was filled with joy and announced him to, to everyone, giving thanks to God. Or his presence. As lesson to us is hiddenness. Sometimes when we think of holiness, when we think of the saints, we think holiness consists in these I don't know, remarkable exotic events, right? St. Francis getting the stigmata, Saint St. Teresa Avila going into ecstasy, you know, saints who levitated or had visions or performed miracles. Right, so so those are the ones in the stained glass windows who came out of the womb with a halo on their head, and then there's all the rest of us slops, right? And I think Anna is a great reminder to us that holiness is often very quiet, very hidden. It doesn't consist of visions and miracles and stigmas, at least not for most people. It's the everyday. It's doing your daily task, fulfilling your state of life, doing your job, whatever it might be, doing it all well, doing it all perfectly, doing it all with great love for God. That's what makes us holy. That's what gets us to heaven. It might seem and feel very mundane, but in those quiet, hidden ways, it's saving our souls. It's saving the world. Think of all the people who came into that temple. You know, this was Jerusalem. It's a major city. Thousands of people coming through there. Think of going into St. Patrick's Cathedral, right? Thousands of people. And think of some you know, little old lady in the back of the church just kneeling in the pew. Everyone passes by, doesn't even notice her. She's the one who, through her presence, through her prayers, is helping to save the world, converting souls. And that's what God is calling us to as well, in our own hidden, quiet way, unseen, unremarkable, making the world a little better, bringing God's grace into the world as well. And if we follow these three examples, the humility of Mary. Humbling ourselves before the Lord, not not rebelling in pride, humbling ourselves. Persevering like Simeon, showing up, doing what we're supposed to. Whether we get something out of it or not, doesn't matter. We're doing what we're supposed to do, knowing that God will not renege on his promise. And having that hiddenness of Anna, saying our prayers, fasting, doing some penances, doing good works that no one knows about we do those, then we will be the light. We will be that candle that's carried into the temple. This is why, as a a final note, there's a reason February 2nd is Groundhog Day. It comes from the Catholic Church. It's that whole theme of light and darkness. Many, like, When you think of Groundhog Day, remember it comes from it comes from us. We invented it. All right. If we live out those lessons, then we'll make Groundhog Day what what really is in its ideal supposed to be. It means the winter is is ending. The cold and darkness of this world do not have the last word. That there's a springtime, a blossoming that awaits. Life and light have the last word because Christ is risen. And he begins that mission, even in his infancy, even just 40 days old, coming into the temple, being the light of the world and asking us now here in 2024 to be a light in this world. And if we can do that, then this feast is very much worth celebrating. Thank you.